0: Hey, i'm sandy and i'm a quilter and welcome to episode 193 in which we talk quilty resolutions and fidget quilts and i am recording this i have absolutely no idea what day it is hang on just a minute it's the 20th of december i'm recording this on december 20th 2015 um oh my word <laughs> it's the 20th of december the year's almost over um i it, i'm sorry i just had a bit of a, a mental blip there about time and time passing and existential angst anyway um i I did actually this is take two of this episode i actually recorded a few days ago um when i ended up with a very unexpected random afternoon off but um well As you may know, who have listened to this podcast for a while, you may know that I've done that in the past where I've recorded an episode, and then what tends to happen if I let any time pass whatsoever between the actual recording and um, if I can listen to it back immediately or whatever, and it getting posted, it almost never gets posted because then I start second-guessing everything. Um, But I really don't think it was that good an episode, all things being equal. Uh, since I was doing it unexpectedly, sort of on the fly, my thoughts weren't all together um, together, even though I had notes and I have those same notes this time, although I've had some stuff happen that I could add to them, which is very exciting. Uh, but in any case, that episode never saw the light of day. So we're going to try again. So you might say this is episode 193, take two. I do want to say welcome to everybody. If there are any new listeners out there that haven't been in touch with me, please do be doobie doobie dooby do because i like to uh get to know you and i have uh, as i've mentioned in the last couple of episodes i do know there are some new ish listeners anyway that i've enjoyed hearing from so thank you for introducing yourself to me also thank you to you know you old folk that have been around a while um i do have a sandy update um i am not where i would like to be with my schoolwork but that does mean I've been getting a lot of sewing done, you know, so we have our priorities at different times. I do also have a specific project I can talk about, my Fidget Quilts, which has been on my blog. And I can also give a little bit of an update about embroidery and what to do if your embroidery thread bleeds. Let me get back to my happy place. In any case, and then I do also want to officially announce the 2016 Quilty Resolution Challenge. So a lot for this episode let's get started sandy update first um like i said i have not i'm not where i wanted to be in my reading but i'm really trying to be okay with that because i am supposed to be on break uh but i did get my syllabus for the january class finally this week officially i had gotten an unofficial syllabus for it from a a fellow student who had taken the same class last year and So I had already decided the two main books for the class were unlikely to change between last year and this year, especially since one of them was written by the professor. Uh, So I felt it was pretty safe to go ahead and buy those two books and at least read the one written by the professor prior to getting there in January. And yes, indeed, those two books are still on the syllabus. um, As well as like three others. Yeah, I think I ended up buying three more books for that class based on getting the actual syllabus for the class. I am going to try to get at least the two main books read before I go to class in January. I'd like to try to get some more of the reading done because we're actually only on campus for a total of eight days. and. When i went through the syllabus and looked at what the reading assignments were that we're supposed to have ready for each day it was something like 300 pages of reading a day so i really am trying to um, get as much of that done before i actually show up in boston as possible Uh, and then like the next day i did get the book list not the syllabus just the book list for the um, spring semester class which actually starts two days after our january class is done so i've purchased those books i am not even going to pretend to try to get any any of those read before class starts because i just really have to focus on the january class however the fact that i'm a little bit behind um in my reading actually has to do with two things. One, that yes, I am actually getting some sewing and embroidery done. I decided I wanted to prioritize a little bit of Christmas prep this year, especially since I wasn't really around before Christmas last year. Um, If you recall, those of you who have been listening, I was actually in Myanmar this time of year. Let's see, it's the 20th. I was just coming home, I think, today. Um, 20th, 21st, somewhere in there so it just felt really good to be around now i would say i would be more in the christmas spirit if it wasn't 55 freaking degrees (laughs) outside that is just that's definitely you know yeah i believe in climate change because 55 degrees in december in western new york is freakish just absolutely freakish. Uh, so it's been a little bit hard to get to get in the Christmas spirit for those of us who are used to snow being around at Christmas. Now, there are those of you in the other hemisphere who are used to Christmas happening in the summer. And in fact, I was getting a kick out of the fact that I believe it was uh, Ms. Lottie from New Zealand who just recently attended a Christmas parade and everybody was wandering around in like bathing suit tops. <laughs> and and shorts and i was just like yeah i don't even know what that would feel like anyway um i digress so that does mean i have some sewing stuff i can talk about the first thing i can do and and, and talk about that i did get finished um although i still have to frame it but i've mentioned before for my daughter for christmas i am doing two embroidered um they're going to be framed wall hanging or pictures what do you call an embroidered Piece that's in a frame. I don't think of that as a wall hanging because to me, a wall hanging is a quilt or something that's not, I don't know what to call it. It's embroidery in a frame. Anyway, <laughs> there's, there's going to be two of them. They will be a match set. Um, and they both are sayings about tea. Uh, again, I've mentioned these in, in a past episode. We are big tea drinkers in our family, at least three out of the four of us. I don't think my son drinks tea, but he hasn't lived at home for six years. Maybe he does. Uh, but the two sayings these are patterns i bought from etsy and when i post pictures of the finished products which obviously i won't be doing until after christmas i don't think she reads my blog but just in case and it does show up on facebook um i'm not posting until after but i will then post the link to the pattern designer in etsy uh, because i've actually now bought several patterns from her i really love her designs and um, I've been listening with interest to Frances in her last couple of episodes, not the most recent one. I'm not all the way through that, only about five minutes into it. So I can't speak for the most recent Frances of off-kilter quilt episode, but I can speak to a couple of right before that, where she talked about whether or not you use patterns and other people's designs, et cetera. And I will say in quilting, I really almost never do anymore unless it's considered like a technique where I do a disappearing nine patch or something like that. Um, on rare occasions i use somebody else's pattern very rare usually i'm doing my own thing because i've been doing a lot more art quilting lately Uh, but um, or like with the jacob's ladder that's just a traditional block that i just monkeyed with Um, but when it comes to embroidery design because embroidery designs rely much more on drawing skills which is something i don't want to say i don't have drawing skills because in this podcast before I have often said, you shouldn't say you're not good at something. You should just say you're not practiced at it. So let me just use that euphemism. I am not practiced in my drawing skills. (laughs) They really stink, basically. Um, I can pull out a few things okay, but they're not something I really have a lot of confidence in. So that is a place where when it comes to embroidery, I have started using a lot more designs. I still do my own kind of freestyle embroidery. Most of the time that tends to be what I prefer, but there are a couple of designers that I have discovered in my recent searches that I just really love their designs. So I'm getting over myself and I'm just using somebody else's design. Um, so the first one of these two T sayings, I'm looking, I'm standing up as far as my headset cord will let me walk here because it's sitting over on my sewing table. It says, Where there's tea, there's hope. And the second one says, Tea solves pretty much everything. So, <laughs> those are the two sayings that once I get them both done, I'll put them in a frame. And I've made them, uh, intending them to be hung in her kitchen in her adorable little studio apartment. Um, now, here's what, here's my teaching moment, because I did have something go what could have been horribly awry. Um, I am using pretty much straight DMC floss for this project, which is also unusual for me. Again, as you know, I really started out my major embroidery—well, um, f- my—I f- w- I don't want to say my first major foray into embroidery because I've done embroidery before, although never at this level of intensity <laughs> as I've been doing the last few months. Um, this time around, my first real try at it was Sue Spargo's butterfly project, and I've been using all sorts of weird threads for that. And I still tend to prefer like the pearl cottons, the variegated things, the things with a little more heft and interest to them. Um, But for these projects, it really did seem the thing to do to just use straight old uh, DMC floss solids, because I really wanted the focus to be more on the words and less on the threads. Um, So it's really... (laughs) Can I tell you how stinking easy it feels now to embroider with regular standard embroidery floss on actual linen? Because that's the other thing. I'm I'm using linen for these uh, rather than cottons or felted wool or other fabrics I've been using. Um, You know, this is like normal embroidery and I don't normally do normal. (laughs) And sometimes it's kind of nice to do normal, you know? Uh, In any case, uh, the first one, I was using all these, you know, just standard uh, DMC embroidery floss. And the very last one, they're mostly blues and greens because those are my daughter's colors. I did change the colors from what the designer had laid out. But the very last piece that I embroidered were these little accent flowers you put in one corner. And I used an orange floss. And I could tell when I started using it, I didn't really look at the label of it. It was wrapped the same way DMC floss is so i just picked it up pulled a a hank off and was starting to embroider and i noticed it didn't feel the same it was much rougher it didn't have as nice a hand to it and so i i looked at the label and realized oh this is some other type of flaw so it wasn't even anything i recognized to tell the truth the um the logo on the label doesn't even have a name with it so i couldn't even tell you what brand this is because i don't recognize it um And at the time I thought, well, I don't really like this floss, but it's just this little bitty accent. It was the only one I had, the only floss I had in that color. Um, So yeah, okay, I'll just run with it. It's not a big deal. Well, wouldn't you know, um, I use a water soluble marking pen, fine point marking pen to do most of my embroidery marking with. And um, I've never had a problem with it. I've heard rumor that some DMC can bleed. I've never had that problem. I've never had a problem with any of my hand dyed um, any of the hand dyed, I shouldn't say my hand dyed, I haven't hand dyed my own thread yet, but I have bought a lot of it from other sources. I've never had any problem with any of that bleeding. Although that is always a risk with hand dye. This orange bled all over the place (laughs) when I rinsed. And with water soluble marker, you just barely toss it under the water. It does not have to get wet really at all for that marking pen to disappear. So it's not like I was soaking it. I just ran it through the water set it aside to let it dry and the next time i went back to look at it there was orange all over and the the linen is sort of a cream very very light cream off white color so i I immediately posted to twitter twitter twilters help you know it's like um for the twilters on twitter and the same would be in facebook but twitter is much more fast response so i prefer to do this there um it's like you know shining the bat light up in the sky (laughs) saying twilters help I have an emergency so I just said you know how do you get bleeding out of fabric because even with all my years of quilting I've only had fabric bleed once and that was about 12 years ago Um, and it was frankly a quilt with all the fabrics were made from Joann's and one of the fabrics bled but even at that it hadn't bled enough for it to really be noticeable to anybody else so I've never really had to deal with this before Um, so anyway I went to bed because it was late, so I didn't see any twilter responses until the next morning. And by then I had already kind of figured out what I was gonna do. I was like, well, the I use Synthapol in my hand dyes. When I'm when I'm doing my own hand dyes, you always do your first, um, well, you, you rinse, but then you do your first real wash in Synthapol because what Synthapol does, and Blue Dawn does essentially the same thing. Um, it draws extra ink or dye, sorry, dye it draws the extra dye out from the fabric but it doesn't let it settle back on it kind of pulls it back into the water so i filled i had like a two cup or four cup measuring pyrex measuring cup and i just poured some water in there and a little bit of synthrapol, mixed it all up and then i just w- kind of put the one corner with this orange um embroidery floss where it had bled I put that down in the water I tried not to get too much of the rest of it in the water too um, just because I didn't want to risk you know the bleeding going further than what I might possibly be able to fix and so I just I dipped it down in there for a little bit kind of scrubbed it with my fingers just in that one corner into the fabric to make sure that the had really worked well into the fibers um, swished it around a little bit and then you know I pulled it out and I looked at it and it did definitely look like the the blood color was coming out. So then I just tucked that one corner back down into the Cintapal water and just let it soak for probably I don't know I wasn't timing it but maybe 15-20 minutes before I went back to pull it back out again. And then I rinsed again just that corner under cold running water and it's almost entirely gone. Almost all of the blood um, color is gone and in fact really i think i'm the only one that would see it if you don't know what to look for you wouldn't even see it there it is such a very 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 light haze of orange that you know looking at it from here it looks fine um looking at it with the naked eye it looks fine when i get right up close to it i can see where it was but that synthopal really did the trick so Um, And again, Blue Dawn does about the same thing. So if you have problems, you know, for example, with an embroidery project, if you rinse it and any of the colors bleed, try putting some synthoprol or some Blue Dawn into a, you know, smallish thing of water. And if you can isolate and just do that one corner, that's probably safest. But if it's the whole thing or somewhere in the middle, just soak the whole thing. And in fact, part of me is kind of wondering whether in the future I might not just do that when I'm rinsing my water-soluble markings out, I might just use, you know, Blue Dawn Synthapol water altogether. Um, Since it does rinse so easily with just water, I haven't bothered using any soap and I haven't really wanted to because I don't want to agitate the embroidery much. I want to keep everything as, as, you know, clean as possible. But um, having learned from this and knowing again that there is a rumor out there (laughs) that uh i think it's the red it's usually red gets a bad rap i think it's the red dmc floss i've heard rumor does bleed um so maybe this will just be what i do in the future is is use the synthapol whenever i have to rinse the markings off so um that was a possible tragedy averted (laughs) although i had already decided you know what if i couldn't get that bled orange out of there i would probably just I don't know start from scratch and redo the whole thing because the way it was placed and the way the design is i couldn't just embroider more over it without it looking really bottom heavy um where that design was or i couldn't just cut it out you know it was kind of like Oi, it's it's sort of just there and i can either have it be there as a big orange spot or just start over again um And, you know, the project should not have taken me nearly as long as it did. It just took as long as it did only because I had a lot of breaks in the action. The embroidering itself is all chain stitch, um, back stitch, stem stitch. That was pretty, yeah, those were the only three stitches I used on the first project. I suspect the second one's going to be the same. I haven't looked at it really closely yet. Um, So that's your learning moment from tragedy that happened to me. So uh, let me talk about, well, And just to finish that story, I do now have the second one all traced, I've got my masking tape along the outside edge. If any of you are new to embroidery, that was a little trick that the woman at the um, needle art store had told me a while back when I was doing a different project that if you use blue painters tape or masking tape or something and just tape all along like a frame around the outside edge of the fabric that you're embroidering on it keeps it from fraying when it's in and out of the hoop. So I've got that all ready to go, and I will start embroidering that project tonight. All right, the second major thing I did, and the reason I did not get an episode posted last weekend as I had intended to, is my father-in-law ended up in the hospital last weekend. Actually, a week ago Thursday is when he went into the emergency room. Um, My father-in-law has a, a dementia, which some people refer to as a very rare form of Alzheimer's. Others refer to it as something completely its own. Um, I'm not really sure which is which, but it's a frontal lobe dementia, if that's meaningful to anybody. And there's another term for it as well. Uh, but in any case, it means it's it's dementia that's sort of like Alzheimer's, but not entirely like Alzheimer's. Uh, he's still, he's, uh, oh gosh, four years ago, I think is when he first started showing signs that we could recognize as something going on. Um, it was probably three years ago that it was finally diagnosed, maybe only two years ago that it was finally diagnosed. And it is a progressively um, a, a progressive disease that the decline will continue to happen. Right now, again, I'm not a doctor, and I haven't been in on any of the doctor's appointments, but I would guess he's sort of like in the middle phase of it. Um, he, uh, at this point, has difficulty feeding himself, um, although he can still do some things. Uh, but he's still physically okay. He can walk um, with some. I mean, he he needs help once in a while. Stairs are tricky, but he can move around. And um, memory-wise, is very in and out, <laughs> which is uh, it's more short term. You know, time really has no meaning for him, and it's mostly communication skills. You don't always know whether he's not understanding what's going on or if he's just using different words to respond because communication and language is the first to go he can still speak he can still use words they're just not necessarily the, the right words or in the right order um, whether or not he recognizes us also seems to kind of go in and out but the upside is that he's in a perpetually good mood <laughs> which is often what happens with Alzheimer's is the opposite is people get very negative, very um, paranoid or, or just act out in a lot of ways. My father-in-law is the opposite. He's in a really good mood. He can get a little testy once in a while when he's not feeling well overtired um, or my mother-in-law still cares, cares for him at home. And so sometimes he can get a little testy with her when he just doesn't want to do something that she needs him to do. But by and large, he's in an excellent mood. <laughs> and so that makes a lot of things a lot easier to deal with Um, so anyway he ended up in the hospital last thursday it was kind of a long story how he got there but when he was in he was diagnosed with pneumonia which nobody had any clue he had because it was very mild so there were no outside symptoms but it did explain why over the week before that he had suddenly seemingly had the sharp downturn in his behaviors in his he had stopped I mean, he was still eating, but not nearly what he had been. He wasn't drinking enough, um, you know, the whole nine yards. And it was clear something had happened, but nobody really knew what. And again, this disease is progressive. So you don't know what's the disease versus what might be some other cause. So my mother-in-law finally called the ambulance, got him in um, to emergency. And he was diagnosed with the pneumonia, got on to um, antibiotics and uh, fluids and now is better than he had been prior to that downturn so it was clearly that was at least a lot of the issue um he's still in the hospital because they're still trying to assess the future whether he can go back home um to have my mother-in-law care for him whether he can go back home as long as there's help and if so what help or whether he needs to go into long-term care so that's been the long conversation over the last few uh few days And i'm not going to go into any detail about that those of you who have been through it know it's very stressful um so anyway to get that back to quilting those first few days he's in the hospital we were all over there you know for hours at a time and i made it sort of my i took responsibility for trying to be over there um through mealtime so that my mother-in-law could get away to eat now i wasn't there every mealtime but that's that's kind of my focus is if i can get over there it's going to be during a mealtime to make sure my mother-in-law goes to eat so um saturday evening i was over there uh, for a few hours while she my my daughter and my niece, my daughter's cousin, actually took my mother-in-law out to dinner, which was fantastic. So my mother-in-law not only got to eat, but she got to spend some grandma time, which is always renewing for her. And they had her out for a good couple of hours. So she got a really nice break. Um, so I was with my father-in-law, fed him dinner and was sitting in, and watching with him and, and doing my Christmas cards for the Twilter Christmas card swap. Um I had brought some embroidery with me but there was no way that very cramped he's in a shared hospital room so there was just nowhere that i could take stuff out and work on it i just you know everything was in my lap i was like no that's going to be too too much of a pain to do um and he wasn't asleep he was awake and watching tv so i wanted to keep talking with him so i wasn't reading or anything either so i was just working on the christmas cards and i was watching him fidget now he's been fidgeting for a while um but there's a difference between you noticing it going on when there's a lot of family members around and you're kind of paying attention to other things so you're not really noticing it plus i also think it's gotten a lot more pronounced i think he's fidgeting more and by fidgeting i mean he just has to have something in his hands at all times and he's messing with it he's in this case in the hospital was his hospital blanket and his hospital gown he was constantly pulling them all up scrunching them all up and then moving them back and i'd be jumping up and trying to make sure he was covered and that his gown wasn't getting all tangled up in his blankets and everything um because he would pull his blanket all off and scrunch it all up and then complain about being cold and i was like okay dad (laughs) you need to figure out there is a little bit of a cause and effect here but the cause and effect he just you know that's beyond his comprehension so that's part of why I also couldn't get involved in anything like embroidery, because I was just jumping up and down every five minutes to help him straighten back those <laughs> cover yourself back up, grandpa. Um, but in any case, so as I was watching him at one point, he's, he started to settle down as the evening wore on and he got more tired and he started to quiet down a little bit. And But I'm still watching his hands are just he's not even paying attention. His hands are just fidgeting. And I s- suddenly had this thought of, wait a minute, this is ringing a bell for me. I think there's such a thing as Alzheimer quilts about fidgeting. (laughs) And so I'm on my phone in the hospital Googling Alzheimer's uh, quilts, fidgeting quilts. And sure enough, there's something called it's alternately called either a touch quilt or a fidget quilt. And I just decided mine's definitely a fidget quilt because my father in law is fidgeting with the best of them. So it's got to be a fidget quilt. So I did a little bit of research while I was sitting there in the hospital and then that night, um, no, I guess it was the next morning. I got onto Pinterest and I was going through Google and I was seeing it is a thing, you know, making Alzheimer's fidget quilts is a thing. What it is is because um, people with dementia, this is a symptom of the dementia. This fidgeting, it's very, very common. And so, generally speaking, your your typical Alzheimer's touch quilt or fidget quilt has a lot of things like ribbons, buttons, zippers. It may even have little pockets with little like stuffed figures that are then kind of attached with a ribbon, but they can be pulled in and out of the pocket. There's just all sorts of things to do on this quilt. And often they're very small. They're like, um, I saw some that maybe were only 12 by 18. It was basically just sort of an activity thing. Um, There were others that were more like lap quilts. And so as I was thinking through what I would observed in my father-in-law, I decided it wasn't so much he didn't want to have, he didn't seem to have a need to have buttons and ribbons and zippers and all that kind of stuff. It was more he just liked to scrunch it up and smooth it back out and scrunch it up <laughs> and smooth it back out. That was his thing, was being able to crumple it up and smooth it back out. So I decided, okay, that means two things. One, I'm only gonna go for physical texture in my fabrics. So I'm not gonna attach a lot of things to this quilt. Plus, I wanted to make sure my mother-in-law would feel comfortable throwing this thing in the wash as many times a day as she felt she needed to. Um, so I didn't want it to have a lot of, you know, what do they call them? Gigaws, <laughs> doodads and gigaws stuff hanging off it that she'd have to worry about. I just wanted it to be straight fabric. And the other thing was I wanted it to be long enough and um have enough heft to it that it felt really good in his hands when he was scrunching it up like he was really getting to be able to dig in there and scrunch it up a lot Um, but that it wouldn't be so big and so heavy that he would get overheated if he had another blanket or or other clothes on or whatever so I settled on about 36 by 36 and I did six squares across six down that were six inch finished. that's you know that's easy math basically (laughs) as you may know from listening to this podcast for a while, I tried to do easy math whenever possible because I hate math. So I just decided, okay, I'm gonna do six squares, you know, 36 squares, six inches each. Um, But then I decided I'm actually gonna cut them all to seven inches because I wanted a really solid half inch seam rather than a quarter inch seam. Again, because this thing's gonna get a lot of wear and tear. (laughs) And I wanted it to be really sturdy. Plus, that I was going to be using so many different fabrics, I thought the more of a seam allowance I have, kind of the more margin for error it gives me if I'm trying to get a lot of very different types of fabrics to play nice together. And and I was really thanking myself for that decision when it came down to sewing, because there were a couple of fabrics that just, you know, that ended up next to each other in my design. Um, case in point, putting satin next to velvet. <laughs> Generally speaking, is not going to end well or at least satin-esque it wasn't real satin but um that velvet was sliding all over the place on the thing so the fact that i had a wider than normal seam allowance meant it could slip out of whack a little bit and i was still capturing it in the seam allowance so that was okay um i also made the decision pretty much from the start that i was not going to worry about my corners pointing because again (laughs) all of the different fabrics they were going to they were just going to give me grief as i was sewing them together and so i was just trying to mentally lessen my frustration level right from the outset to say this thing is not going to be square the corners are not going to meet and nobody is going to stink and care (laughs) just let that go now when i bought so i had some fabrics i had a velvet or something closely approximating velvet i don't know if it was official or not Um, i had another one that was sort of a velvety type thing I had um, one that was uh, very, very fuzzy. Um, Don't even know. I don't know what fabrics are called other than cotton. So let's just cut to the chase. (laughs) I'm not a garment sewer. So there's a very few fabrics outside of the hundred percent cotton that I actually know what they are. I'm, you know, now much more familiar with linen as in the embroidery. Uh, So, Pardon me, while I just described fabrics to them, to you, rather than using their proper names. Um, There was one that was red and fuzzy, and as I said afterwards, it was like a gooned teddy bear had exploded (laughs) in my sewing room after I was done cutting this fabric, because it was just all over the freaking place. Um, Which I knew, the the woman at Joanne's who was cutting it for me, and I were kind of getting into giggles. (laughs) every cut she made there was just this poof in the air of all this red fuzz and she was like you are gonna have a lot of fun working with this so anyway you gotta laugh because otherwise it would be tears um it was so I had that one I had a couple of different that were sort of a satin-esque um, polyester kind of uh feel to them another one that was a tone on tone that had a real texture to it Um, that turned out to be painted on. I thought it was actually like embossed, but it was something that the minute my iron hit it, almost melted all over my iron. I had a little bit of cleanup to do. Here's another teaching moment, dryer sheets to clean your iron. Don't mess with any of those stupid iron cleaners. They're expensive and there's no point. (laughs) I have have used them in the past. Now I use a box of the dirt cheap-est dryer sheets that I could buy at the grocery store and they, they work a charm I've never had a problem with anything else so that's that's your other teaching moment for the moment for the time being when when that red gook whatever it was melted all over my iron I just got out my dryer sheet a few sweeps with my iron my iron was beautiful um and yes I have also applicate things you know fusible has gotten on their dryer sheet works beautifully um back to the fidget quilt so anyway I cut all these things The the fabric the other fabric that drove me nuts, which I wasn't really expecting it to drive me nuts. I had a fabric, oh, it was like a poly, it was definitely acrylic, unnatural (laughs) of some sort. It was some sort of unnatural fabric um, that had fringe sewn into it. And that stinking fridge was driving me crazy because I kept trying to push it out of the way as I was sewing seams. And I finally just gave up. I decided my father-in-law likes to fidget. I'm just giving him more to fidget with because now there's sort of, you know, a fringe goes down and then turns sharp to the left and gets sewn into the seam. There was just no getting around it. Um, And then to finish it. So I got all my squares sewn and I did stabilize a couple of the fabrics um the ones that i thought were a lot less uh, they were going to be a lot more squishy when i was sewing them or pulley stretchy whatever you want to call them um i did stabilize those but the like the fuzzy the teddy bear fabric i couldn't really figure out how to stabilize that one without crushing even if i had pressed it into a towel um it it, i don't think it would have worked well so i just i didn't stabilize that one and that one was really stretchy but i was able to get it to to work um again i just decided ahead of time i'm not going to worry about whether this thing looks puckery in some places or whatever um, because the fabrics themselves were going to mask really anything that went awry in terms of accuracy Um, so I, I did have a couple of fabrics stabilized. I didn't end up stabilizing the velvet at all. Again, I didn't want to crush the velvet, even if I had pressed it into a towel, upside down on a towel, which is how you keep the nap from crushing. Um, I just, you know, I, I decided the the velvet wasn't that stretchy, comparatively speaking. So I went without, and that was fine. Um, there really weren't any fabrics other than the red teddy bear fabric. There was nothing That I should have stabilized, you know, after the fact that I was looking at saying, geez, I really wish I had stabilized that. So that went pretty well. Um, I did use the half inch seam. That really helped. And then um, at the end, I did, I believe it's called an envelope or a self-binding thing where you just, I used a fusible batting. Um, Again, thinking that would help keep those seams really well in place. I fused it to the back of the front. If that makes sense um rather than to the backing i fused the batting to the front of the the piece the back of the front and the reverse of the front and it helped keep all of those weird seams and weird fabrics that were kind of flying out all over the place i thought it would keep them under control more and i think that worked well and then i just flipped the backing um, and put it on top of the the top of the quilt right sides together sewed around three plus sides and then turned it all inside out so that it was then you know the backing was in the right place um and i did also slide a label in there i because he was still in the hospital i wanted to make sure his name ended up on that quilt just so it wouldn't get lost um or stolen but a lot of times i think they just end up down in the laundry room and nobody even i don't think they're intentionally stolen i think they just get wadded up with um whatever is on the bed and nobody pays attention until then it's down in the laundry room and nobody knows where it came from so anyway uh i did stitch i i like to do the kind of labels that you sew in you make them into a triangle and then you put the two parts of the triangle right in the corner of the binding so it just sews right into the seam and then usually on a regular quilt i will then hand sew the remaining edge down so the whole thing is flush with the quilt this one i decided to just leave it as a pocket because again, I thought that might be fun for my father-in-law to fiddle with, is to have this kind of random pocket on the back of the quilt. Um, and I just wrote his, his name on there. I didn't really write anything else, but I did tell my mother-in-law, you might wanna bring this you know, to and from the hospital with you rather than leaving it here overnight just to be on the safe side. Uh, and she agreed. Um, in any case, back to the quilt. Then I just, uh, I think it was probably about an inch inside the, the outside, the outside of it I sewed all the way around all four sides to make it look like it was bound plus to kind of hold it together Um, in terms of quilting all I did was tack down uh, I did little tacking marks in between each four corner section of the blocks Um, originally I thought I was going to do straight line quilting you know in the stitch in the ditch the whole thing but again because a lot of seams didn't match and because stuff was kind of squishy I decided I'm just tacking this puppy down and we're calling it a day and that seems to have worked really well. So um, I did end up having to hand whip stitch the opening. I had hoped I would be able to just sew across it and catch it all well enough that I wouldn't have to hand stitch. I was trying to keep away from doing any hand stitching whatsoever on this, again, to make sure it would be as sturdy as possible for my mother-in-law so she wouldn't have anything to worry about with washing it. Um, but there was a little bit of a gap there. So I did just hand stitch it as you know securely as I could. So that is a part where if it gets really beat up, that could come apart, but that's easy to fix. Um, so I gave it to, I finished it. I worked on it all Sunday afternoon, finished it Tuesday, I think was the day I had a random half day off. I don't remember now whether it was Tuesday or Wednesday. And I was able to finish it that day and um, brought it over to my in-laws that night. And my father-in-law didn't, didn't really comprehend altogether um, what was happening when I gave it to him. Although I said, dad, I've got a present for you. And he was like present and he got, you know, kind of happy for a moment there. Um, And, but then by the time I'd given it to him, he wasn't quite clear what was going on, but my mother-in-law certainly appreciated it. And one of the nurses was walking by the room as I gave it to him and she popped her head right. Oh, I love these quilts. And she kind of was looking at it too. So that was nice. Um, My mother-in-law called me the next day and she said, You have to know what your father-in-law said because here i was you know as i gave it to him i'm explaining to my mother-in-law by the way you might want to take this with you when you leave and then you know bring it back and we had no idea how much you never know quite how much my father-in-law's comprehending well apparently after my mother-in-law left for the night um, she was halfway down the hall and one of the nurses came after her and she said and said um, Mr. Hasenauer wants you to come back. He's got something for you. And my mother-in-law was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> so she walked back, and he handed her the quilt, and he said, "You're supposed to take this home." So <laughs> apparently, out of everything we had talked about that night, that was the one thing he had kind of, you know, clarity about that she was supposed to take this quilt home with her. Um, so she did. But every report I've heard, and I, I haven't been able to get back to see him since. I'm hoping to get there um, tomorrow because he is still in the hospital. So um, anyway, every report I've heard since, everybody that's been in there has said he loves that quilt. He's using it all the time, um, just constantly messing with it the way he's supposed to. So I'm, I'm really pleased with that. That felt really good. Uh, I did post it on my blog and I've gotten a few people have commented about making their own. So I would like to invite any, I mean, people who have also made Alzheimer's touch quilts um, I would really like to encourage any of you who have done that to uh, make sure you post pictures in the quilting for the rest of us flickr group or if you've already got something on your blog just post a link in the comments or whatever because i did also hear from a couple of people who are saying they might like to make one so there's people out there looking for ideas uh so do please share your own um and again there's a wide variety of of what you might want to do If you're doing them as a donation through an organization, check with the organization to see what it is they want to do. If you're doing it for somebody you know, someone you love, think through, what is it you think they actually want? Like I said, with my father-in-law, I didn't really think buttons and ribbons and such were were what he was after. Now it was something else. And so I did something else. Um, Does that mean he would have hated the buttons and ribbons and zippins, (laughs) ribbers and zippins? Um, Ribbons and zippers. No, he probably would have enjoyed those too, but it wasn't something I really needed to do at this point, given where he's at at this stage. So um, I-, I will certainly never be working with the teddy bear fabric again. I can t- <laughs> I can tell you that it's the whole thing did remind me why I never got into garment sewing. Because just give me a good old cotton any day. I'm happy as a clam. Any of those other weird fabrics, not as much into them. Um, so anyway uh that was my major project this week and and since i hadn't expected to be doing it um i didn't get other things done that i really needed to be getting done but that was okay the whole fidget quilt again especially because i kept it fairly simple i would say all in maybe five hours maybe five hours it possibly six but certainly no more than that And that was mostly because it took a while to cut some of the fabrics, um, because they were squidging all over the cutting table. And I I was stabilizing some of them, you know, that kind of thing. I I didn't really pin much at all. I pinned a couple of seams. um, But again, I was mostly going for speed on this one very intentionally. so, uh, So anyway, they don't take that long to do. And it would be an excellent donation project. There are some guilds who do them as sort of group guild projects. I do not have any names of organizations offhand that, you know, do this, that take them because I was just doing this for my father-in-law. Again, if there are those of you who have done projects like that for your guilds or with your guilds and have information you want to post in case anybody else is looking for it, please do. All right. Let me talk about um, my other major topic for this episode is my Quilty Resolution Challenge. Again, those of you who have been listening for a while will know that um, every year, really I think since the first year, I think I've been doing this very long, I issue a challenge for resolutions around quilting. And I know people have different feelings about resolutions. I'm not gonna go into that again this time. I've talked about that in the past, so listen to past year's Quilty Resolution Challenges to hear what my personal opinion is about resolutions, etc. cetera. Um, what i do every year is the way these tend to come about is i think about what is it i really want to do (laughs) what is it i want to accomplish and then i figure out a way to broaden that out to be something i can invite other people to participate in i think the first year i just did something like the number you know list the ufos you want to finish or something it was pretty straightforward the first year but every year since then i've had different themes i am very very big on achievable goals Um, so i'm going to give some very specific information about what it is i'm actually asking for in this challenge i'm going to describe the challenge to you now i will also post it on my blog at some point it may not get up until next week Um, after christmas because i've got that week off from um, work between christmas and new year so i've got a little more time and i'll probably put the blog post together then which will have all of the same information but you have until january 31st to enter i always set the deadline as january 31st and i do that because not only do i want to allow time for people to actually hear the episode if you're behind on your listening and um read the blog post if you're behind on your blogs or whatever i want to give ample time but i do also want you to think about it a little bit i don't want you to whip off the first thing that comes to mind and then start thinking later well wait a minute that's not what i really wanted to do i want <laughs> i do want you to think about this a little bit so my resolution channel oh and there will be a giveaway haven't figured out what it is yet but i kind of know generally what it's going to be um and in the past this has always been a pretty popular challenge i have a spreadsheet online form or a form that i have you fill out that goes into a spreadsheet and then i post that spreadsheet without um, your contact information i have to have your email address so that i can contact you if you win the drawing but i don't post your email address online i take that out uh, but your uh, challenge to yourself will be visible for other people to see. And I do that for a couple of reasons. One, I want you to be able to see your own challenge. And sometimes midway through the year, I'll post it again as a reminder. Um, I don't think I did that this year with this year's, I'm sorry, I don't think I did. I think school just blipped all that from my mind, but sometimes I will do that. Um, And the other thing is that sometimes people need inspiration about their own resolutions. And so they might find it helpful um, to see yours and think, oh, well, you know what? Actually, that's a really good one. The other thing I do, um, and I picked this up, Sandy of Quilt Cabana Podcast is the one that first uh, talked about this years ago. And I don't think she's still doing this, but she had gotten it from somebody else. This originates from someone else somewhere, and I'm not sure where, but it's the word of the year. Having the word of the year that you want to be have be your guiding word. And I really, really like that. Um, so I've been doing it last year. It was an unofficial part of the challenge this year. It's going to be back to being an official part of the challenge. And I will say my word of the year last year is probably the only part of my quilty resolutions for 2015. I actually succeeded at (laughs) was living out that word of the year. Um, I will do another episode at one point, which is a recap of my own resolution. My 2015 quilty resolutions. I can tell you right now, I didn't do real well at them because school kind of knocked everything else out, Um, but I haven't even looked back at them yet uh, to know whether there were some in there that I did actually achieve that I'm forgetting about now. The one that is coming to mind, I know I didn't achieve fully. I did a little bit of it, but I'll I'll do a recap um, in an episode coming up. And I will also, in that same episode, I will look back at what some of you have also said, and I will make sure you have, those of you who participated last year will also be able to look at your spreadsheet again. And see what it is you promised to do so you can kind of see what you might want to follow up on now. So, my Quilty Resolution Challenge for 2016. As I was looking ahead to my personal quilty life in 2016, and knowing that I'm still going to be in school and that I'm traveling quite a bit for work. I kind of thought at first I was going to do something like, okay, if there's only absolutely one thing you think you could actually get done this year, what would you want that one thing to be? Because I really don't think I'm going to get much done this year. But then I decided, actually, I want to take a little bit of a different direction with it. Because in my thinking, as I was looking again at my own quilty life, I also realized there are some things on my shelves that keep making me feel like I really should be working on them. And which make me feel guilty about when I do, when I take time to do other things, when those things are still there. um, And they're kind of holding me back. Plus, there are some organizational systems. And this comes, again, from school. I've talked in past episodes about how I'm trying to get better organizational systems for certain things for school. Because I feel like that's holding me back a little bit from being able to achieve what I really want to achieve in school. The same thing is true in quilting. There may be things um, that, you know, maybe I need to clean off some shelves, reorganize some drawers, kind of assess where I'm at with certain levels of supplies, that kind of thing. It, it basically kind of comes down to cleaning house. And the new year is a perfect time to think about cleaning house there are some cultures that actually do have um, kind of a ritualistic house cleaning when it comes to whenever they celebrate the new year and not all cultures do it on January 1st uh, because it's sort of a symbolic sweeping out of the old, welcoming the new. And so when I think about that in terms of quilting life, I want to challenge all of us and I'm including myself in this, to think about what are three things that you're going to do, that I'm going to do, to clean house in our quilty lives mentally or physically. What are three things in 2016 we're going to do to clean house in our quilty lives, mentally or physically? So cleaning house might be very literally cleaning out your sewing room, cleaning out a drawer, reorganizing your stash, reorganizing supplies, assessing your books, reorganizing your bookshelves, whatever you feel you need to do to be able to get rid of the old move forward on the new. That might be a very literal kind of cleaning house. Another type of cleaning house might be mentally, and this might include UFOs. I have done, oh gosh, I've talked about UFOs a lot. I've talked about them on past episodes, and I did a whole series on UFOs last oh i would look around march on my blog if you um if you just use the search engine on my blog to look to search for ufo you're going to find a bunch of stuff but i did a whole series last year i think it was 6 or so blog posts on how to assess your ufos decide what you're going to actually complete and what you can release yourself from for me this is what i came down to with my mental cleaning house for 2016. i have a couple of ufos that it's time for me to just admit i'm never going to do them i'm never going to finish these things um and i'll talk about that more in my next episode but that's that's where i'm at i just need to release myself from a couple of burdens now here's where i'm going to give you some pretty strict rules the number is three people three things you're going to do. No fair saying I'm going to finish 15 UFOs as one thing and then having two additional things. (laughs) Remember what I said about goals being achievable. Don't set yourself up for failure. Now, maybe you're somebody that really does spend all your time at your sewing machine and, you know, finishing 15 UFOs feels like oh yeah I could whip that out by the end of next week Um, for most of us that's probably setting too high a bar and you might want to think a little more reasonably it's much better to give yourself an easy win to make yourself better you get more motivated rather than setting yourself up for failure rather than having really unrealistic expectations about what you're going to be able to accomplish keep it achievable this is something I have to do to myself, do to myself, do for myself, do with myself every time I have an unscheduled weekend or a vacation or even just an afternoon or a day off. I tend to have this mental list of all the things I think I'm actually going to get done. And then by the end of the weekend and I don't have them all done, I get really frustrated with myself. So I've tried to get much better. And I've, I think I've really achieved this over the last um, few months about thinking, okay, here's the one thing I really want to make sure I get done this weekend. And then here's the two or three other things. It would be nice to get done this weekend, but I'm I'm not going to hate myself if I don't. And then all I really focus on is getting that one thing done. Everything else is gravy. And boy, I've been a much happier person (laughs) since I started doing that. So think of this Quilty Resolution Challenge as more of a launching point. That's a good term, a launching point. What are three things you could do to clean house, mentally or physically, that you could achieve relatively easily? And then you've got the motivation to move on. Now, mentally cleaning house might also be getting rid of an attitude. You know, maybe you have an attitude about doing a particular type of thing. You've always thought doing thus and so would be way too hard, so you've never tried to do it, even though you've always wanted to. Or maybe you've got a pile up of UFOs because you feel like you're just going to mess it up with your free motion quilting skills or lack thereof. And so for you, cleaning house might be a mental readjustment or it might be, you know what? It'll probably help me if I do finally take that Craftsy class that I bought years ago and it's still sitting in my computer and I've never looked at it on free motion quilting. Um, I don't know. I can't say to you what your cleaning house needs to be Um, But take some time to think about it. Is there something that you really feel like if you could just do this, you would be ready to move forward in some way? So that's what I mean by cleaning house. All right. So again, in brief, my 2016 Quilty Resolution Challenge is what are three things you are going to do in 2016 to clean house in your quilty life, mentally or physically? And again, this is quilting related you may have other resolutions and other areas of your life but i just keep it focused (laughs) on quilting also embroidery sewing whatever let's you know anything with textile fiber arts i will accept again the deadline will be january 31st i'll be doing the drawing february 1st and i will get the submission form blog post etc all up sometime probably during that week between christmas and new year so right now you're just thinking about it um you can certainly leave comments about what you think your response to the resolution will be on this episode but they will not count to the drawing you have to wait until the submission form is actually up for that all right i've got a few pieces of listener feedback let me pull that up all right the first set of comments are on my most recent uh, blog post i'm going to be working backwards in time this time Uh, thank you to maureen who posted on a fast finish fidget quilt who says, sometimes it's the simple gifts that are filled with the most love, and that is very much true. Thank you, Maureen, for your comment. Thank you to Jackie on the same blog post, says, this is one area our guild is supported for those that want to. Um, I hadn't thought about it much, but I bet if I search through my fabrics, I'll find some that will work. What a special way to bless someone in your life, and certainly and jackie you are a far superior sewist to me so i'm sure you won't have the grief that i did although honestly mine didn't work my nerves the way i thought it would it it really went together pretty quickly so i would encourage you to have some play time with your um, non-cotton fabrics and see what you can come up with thank you to margaret in canada who said on the same blog post, I had not heard of these quilts till I had my art quilts on display in a nearby town's art walk a couple of years ago. Somebody took my art pieces, mainly 15 inch square, some larger for fidget quilts, public education continues. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I can see where some art quilts might get because a lot of them do have things attached to them. That um, I, I imagine that was a little bit frustrating for you at the time, Margaret. I think it's kind of entertaining. <laughs> so so anyway um i'm sorry that that happened to you but yeah that's uh that's funny thank you also to carol on the same blog post this is a great idea doing squares out of feely stuff and she said i made one this year from just a regular quilt and added things but this i like just as well if not better and the bill's fabric will get a conversation going, which is always good. Um, that I didn't mention that in this episode. It is in the blog post. My father-in-law is a longtime Bill's fan, probably one of the founding members of season ticket holders or whatever. Um, so I did use that was the only cotton fabric in there was an NFL Bill's um, Buffalo Bills print. Thank you to Gay on the same um, thing. She said, dealing with a similar situation in our family, what a great idea. Thank you for showing us how to make one and the different ideas you used for texture, a gift of love. Yes, Gay, it is. And mine, again, mine didn't take that long to put together. So you may get some ideas for something you could do as well. Thank you to Amy, um, AJ Dub on the same blog post. And she said, my dear grandmother's had Alzheimer's and I remember her picking at things all the time. I wish I had known about these back then yeah i don't really know when the whole touch quilt thing got started probably fairly recently because a lot of research into dementia has come about more recently um, and that's kind of what's resulted in these touch quilts thank you to valerie also for your comment on the same blog post Noni pasted uh, pasted posted on my craftsy class review cook smarter solutions for weeknight dinners with Sarah Moulton Uh, she said she religiously watches Sarah Moulton on create TV which is a substation of our local PBS station and Noni I'm envious we do not have that channel so I don't get to see Sarah Moulton Um, and so that's another fan Uh, Linda posted on Crazy Quilt Slow Stitch Along Update. She's a new listener, or at least she hasn't commented before. And she's from the UK, Um, another one from across the pond, as they say. Welcome, Linda. And she says, I love listening to your podcast whilst going on long walks. I was intending to send a comment when I get home. And she said, I'd love the story of your vintage lace and wanted to let you know that the Royal School of Needlework at Hampton Court Palace, London, are experts in all things textile, and I'm sure they would be able to advise you. I would love to. (laughs) I'm sorry. As a Western New Yorker, it would be funny to me to try to send an email to Hampton Court Palace, London. (laughs) (laughs) um in any case i think having used some other lace in my crazy quilt already i'm feeling fairly confident now moving forward and i've gotten a lot of um, good advisement from listeners so i think my next block i didn't use it in the second block because i had too much going on um with curved piecing and everything that i was trying to figure out i think i might try to get some into the third block i'm probably not going to start on the third block until after christmas um linda also goes on to say in the absence of a light box i use a simple plastic box lidded with a cheap string of battery operated fairy lights inside these come from our 99p shop which i'm sure is the same as our dollar store and work brilliantly allowing me to trace complicated designs with ease and you know what linda thank you for reminding me of that because i remember seeing that somewhere along the way on somebody's blog post that they had done the same thing um so i may do that as a stopgap measure uh and basically all you do is you get a plastic bin um with a clear enough top or a light enough top it can't you know obviously it can't be like a blue or a red top it's got to be a clear top or just opaque white or not opaque um you know the frosted kind of white and then you uh, put a lot of fairy lights inside you have to figure out a way to um, cut a hole in the side or whatever for the plug to come out but then that becomes your light box and it's dirt cheap And so I may do that um, in lieu of, at least for a while, buying the really spiffy one. You know, honestly, the really spiffy one is mostly because I am a gadget girl. (laughs) So anything that's a really pretty electronic will turn my head. (laughs) I am easily seduced by electronics. And that is a really cool light box, that one that my friend has that I've been looking at. But meanwhile, yeah, okay, I can use a lidded box with fairy lights. (laughs) in it. So thank you, Linda, for that idea. That's something I'll probably be putting together for myself soon. Thank you to Pratima. It's nice to hear from you again. It's been a while. Um for on Crazy Quilt Slow Stitch Along, my first Crazy Quilt. She loved my textures and colors. And I really do. That first one block I really, really love. And the embroidery is just it's even better. That block is going really well. The second block, we'll have to see what I can do. Um Noni also says she uses her sunlight her daylight lamp um her seasonal affective disorder sunlight lamp um and she it hers lies flat and she puts a clear plastic bin over the top i can't do that my my sunlight box is much bigger and it doesn't lie flat so i can't use mine um in the past i've used my ot light folded out uh, but even that probably wouldn't fit in a plastic bin i think i'm going to probably do the the led lights the christmas especially since right after christmas those things are all going to be on sale so it would be even dirter cheaper dirter cheaper um and noni also liked the colors i chose for my first um crazy quilt block and she says i like how you picked up colors from the printed fabrics and echoed them in the shot cottons actually it was the reverse i started with the shot cottons every block i start out with which of those shot cottons i want to use and then i figure out which printed fabrics help blend all the colors that i'm putting together Um, so in that regard in terms of color I even like the second block. The second block just has other issues going on that make me not like it as well. Um, Noni also posted a second comment on that same blog post and she said, um, when I learned to embroider, the goal was to have the back of the embroidery look as pretty as the front. My mom taught me and she had learned from the nuns of Italy of the antique linens I have seen, there rarely was any backing on the back to protect the stitches. Um, And then she says, this was in response to, I had posted on Twitter, if I were to embroider something like an apron, that's going to get washed a lot. How do I protect the back of the stitches to make sure everything doesn't just fall apart? And um, a lot of people said nobody really does. They just expect the the embroidery to stand on its own. I guess I don't have enough confidence yet (laughs) in my embroidery. And Noni had an excellent idea that I think I would do. Um, she said use an iron-on woven interfacing to protect the stitches so once i get all the embroidery done then her suggestion is using an interfacing uh to iron it over the back to protect where all those knots and everything are and that's just a fantastic idea so if i do ever do this apron that i'm kind of having in my head i might want to do um i think i might try to do that and see if that works because the person from whom I would be making this apron, it would be getting mucked up, so it would be getting washed fairly often, or at least I want the person to feel like it could. Uh, so anyway, Noni, that's an excellent idea. Thank you. And Noni, I'm not going to respond to all of Noni's comments because you were on a roll, Noni. Wow. Um, that's because she was under the weather for a while. She had some recovery time, so she was um listening to podcasts and commenting. And uh, Noni wanted to know some stuff about the um crazy quilts she wants she apparently thinks i actually know how it's gonna gonna turn out um noni wants to know how big the crazy quilt is going to be bed size or wall hanging i don't know right now i'm just doing blocks and i'll do blocks until i'm tired of doing blocks and then we'll see how many we have um our blocks that we're doing as a, a group that we've decided to do are eight inch square finished so eight and a half inch you know, as we're working on them. Um, The other thing I just realized yesterday, I need to start doing uh, that using Ali Aller's method, she does not have us do um, the the muslin backing any bigger than the rest of the block, which is fine and that's normal. But what I'm finding is I really, really, really want to hoop my block. She does, Ali Aller does not hoop anything when she embroiders. I'm with bead embroidery, I'm not worried about hooping it because of anything that might happen to the block while I'm doing the embroidery. It's I want to be hands free and I have a lap stand hoop that allows me to sit my hoop in my lap and then embroider with both hands and or on the table and embroider with both hands. And when I'm doing bead work, that would be really, really helpful. Well, my embroidery block, I can't get some of the stuff I'm doing is so close to the edge, I can't get it in the hoop. So I'm having to do it hoopless. I need to um, pin some muslin strips around the outside edge so that I can then get it into the hoop. But what I might start doing, I haven't decided on this yet, but future crazy quilt blocks I do. I may let the muslin backing be a good two, three inches all the way around, than the block itself and just leave it large until I'm done doing all the embroidery and then cut it down because that way I could get it into the hoop. because everything is interfaced and then you stay stitch around the block, I'm not worried about stretching the backing too big, you know, the muslin too big, if I've only got that bigger than the block. I don't know if I'm describing this well, so you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, for the time being at least, I know I need to um, just use uh, safety pins and just pin some muslin strips on around the outside so I can get it to stretch the size of the hoop and have all of my beadwork accessible to me without it being tucked under the hoop edges um so anyway uh noni that's my answer to you is i have no idea how big this crazy quilt is going to end up being um thank you to beverly also on my um challenge and or on my crazy quilt and she says the embroidery will add so much this is on the second crazy quilt block which i said i wasn't as fond of as the first she says the embroidery will add so much you won't even remember that you won't weren't fond of the second block and i'm kind of banking on that I'm still working on the first block embroidery wise. I haven't even gotten to the second one yet. Um, Jackie, thank you for your comment on episode 192 in which I'm finally on school break. Um, she, <laughs> she says, when my husband went back to school to finish his degree and study for ministry, he would come home and excitedly talk about all the stuff he was learning. It made my brain hurt. Listening to all you are doing does the same. I'm happy for you though. How courageous and expiring. and <laughs> expiring okay that was freudian how courageous and inspiring thank you jackie um yes it is it makes my brain hurt too but i'm loving it thank you to margaret in alberta the same margaret we just talked about earlier and she says threads on the back of utilitarian items etc um, they're usually done in a stem stitch the key is the key to their durability and usefulness as with embroidered pillowcases or aprons is to hi- learn to hide your ends tight t- hi- oh golly is to learn to hide your ends tidily in the back of the piece and i'm actually getting much better at that she said this is best done by weaving the ends in which i'm doing also use as few knots as possible and then she gives some more specific instructions about how to do that um, and i'm still trying to figure out the whole waist knot not waste, not want, not, but waste not can ot technique. Um, so Margaret, if you want to email me some more specific information about how that works, I've heard a couple of embroidery teachers refer to a waste knot, but I've actually not seen how it works. Um, I just always do a standard knot like I would if I was quilting. So if you've got more information on that, that would be helpful to me. So thank you for your mention and another comment from Pratama um, thank you very much so thank you to everybody for your comments I know I went way over in this episode I apologize but I did have a fair amount of actual quilty stuff to talk about so hopefully this was um, interesting <laughs> I always hope it's interesting I always worry a little bit about that and certainly I hope I gave you some stuff that you could talk back to me about so please do talk back to me um, now obviously For those of us who are celebrating Christmas, that is coming up this week. At the end of this week, we are doing, or at least I will be doing a Boxing Day Sew In, which is the day after Christmas, which I believe is Saturday. Yes, Boxing Day is Saturday this year, the 26th. So if you would like to join us on Boxing Day, please do. I will um, try to have a special blog post because I do want to actually do a giveaway on Boxing Day this year. I haven't really had time to think about it because of everything going on with my father-in-law, but this year, or this week, I'm hoping, I know it sounds funny to say with this being Christmas week, but I'm hoping things will actually settle down a little bit. Hard to know right now. Um, but I do hope to do a giveaway on Boxing Day, and um, I definitely do plan on having a jammy day with my sewing machine as much as possible. The only variable on that will be if my father-in-law is some sort of in some sort of transition point at that point where we need all hands on deck to help that happen. Um, But otherwise I should be home at my sewing machine and on Twitter and Facebook. So join us for Boxing Day Sewing and definitely start thinking about your quilting resolutions for 2016. So that is it. For this episode, you know how you can get a hold of me. You can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com, sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. You can follow me on Twitter, Pinterest, and Flickr, all of those things, all of those places. I'm sandyquilts, sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. I'm also that on Craftsy. You can follow the blog. You can um, join the Quilting for the Rest of Us group page on Facebook. You can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Flickr group. You can also join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Flickr group on donation quilts and the Quilting for the Rest of Us Stitch, slow, crazy, <laughs> crazy, quilt, slow, stitch along group, all of those three Flickr groups. And you can join the Kiva team, uh, Quilting for the Rest of Us Kiva team, and do good all over the world. And you'll find links to a lot of that stuff, not necessarily all of it, on my website at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. Until next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom.